Hello? Hello? It's all around us. So what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Gary, you are sitting in in the quote-unquote co-hosting chair tonight, freshly healed from what we thought was uh, COVID-19, but it turns out you didn't have that virus. Is that uh, uh, – you don't know, do you? <laughs> no, you know, I really don't. And now that the new reports are coming out saying that people are having like one day if they get a fever at all yeah, and then maybe a little annoying cough and then they cardiac arrest – the fact that I had cardiac, cardiac issues, God. you know, and it all went away. Nobody, so, nobody know was, knows anything about any of this. It's, it, it's everything. It's like tomorrow we're going to wake up and the new symptom is going to be, yeah, you could wake up and have pimples on your nose and you could have earwax and you could have nasal hair, which is definitely a sign that you could have the COVID virus. It's like oh, shit, every I goddamn have day. It then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. So. Yeah, it is nuts. Uh, anyways, so uh, yeah, we're going to be interviewing Paul. God, how did I say it? Ramash? That's it. Paul Ramash. Ramash? I think that's how his name is. And he yeah, well, is a CSI investigator out of Utah who has written a book called Fingerprints and Phantoms, Law Enforcement Encounters with the Paranormal and the Strange. For years, I have been wanting to tackle the topic of first responders, um, firefighters, police officers, people that are in a higher regard uh, public vision-wise for for things like this because usually those people are held to a higher standard. But the thing is, is you guys see some shit. Like you've said – you've seen yeah. weird shit you've talked about on here before many times. So you being an EMS Mainly person, from living people, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but weird all the same. So I was like, well, this would be a great fit to have Gary on here to talk to this guy about. And uh, he just kind of popped up. It was kind of like I was looking yeah. for guests and then things just happened the way they were and boom, it just popped up. So – and I've been spending all day editing the last episode that I recorded two days ago. I just got that one done and then I got to get this one recorded. Then I'm going to go into editing this one and then next week, if all goes well, me and you are doing another show together. Yeah, um, it's exciting. So it's kind of nuts. It's kind of like um, now that yeah. I'm back into the swing of things, it's kind of like – it's kind of like there's things that you like and there's things that you don't like. It's like I like editing, but then you realize, oh, shit, this is a lot. This is oh, back to this. It again. is a lot. And I don't do nearly as in-depth editing as you do. And yeah, uh, well, yeah, the thing is, is it like, is a lot. And mine takes four hours. When so I it's- get locked into something, I tend to be fairly relentless about it and I have to pursue it until it's done. So once I start the editing process, it's like – 
oh, wow, it's four o'clock in the morning. I better quit and go to bed. Then I'll go to bed. Then I'll wake up and jump right back into it the next day and just keep going until it's done. And then I'll start on the next project and then the next project and the next project because I just. It makes you a good husband. No, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Right now with everything that's going on, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be back doing it again. Um, it's, it's nice. It's, um, you know, cause it was like, as I said, you haven't heard it yet, but in the last episode, I really kicked around if I really wanted to do this anymore. And you were one of the people that's like, no, you know, if you want to do this, you need to do it. And, you know, so you don't know when you're done. There won't be a question. I thought I was there, but it was just like. I do the this because you, well, it's not so much. Well, I, I get that, you know. I, I hate always looking at yeah. it that way, but a lot of people were like, "No, man, I really, you know, if you could be there right now, just for now, we would really appreciate it." And people that I haven't heard from in years and years that listened to the show kind of popped out of the woodwork and were sending me messages out of the blue saying, "Hey, yeah. man, you know, if you could do this, if you could take this hit for us, you know, we'd appreciate it." And I said, "Well." There is a lot of weird stuff out there that I still want to talk about and I still want to look at. And uh, cuz me and you are the same way. We we go on the internet and we fall down rabbit holes and then we find weird we stuff. And um we kind of think along the same ways for looking for content and stuff and I I was still going out and still doing that. I was still finding new interesting stuff, but it was just for a little while, it was like, maybe I should talk about this on the show for a while. I was like, wow, this is really weird. Well, I'll save it somewhere. And then it was like, well, you know, yeah, I'll do this. I'll, I'll give it a shot and see where it goes. But um, right. the editing can can get pretty sucky. The editing can get pretty focused and tensed. And, uh, you know, but whatever. You know, it's each part of it is its own little thing. So I, I, need to get a, I need to get a Bizarro aficionado show out soon. <laughs> I have been so bad. But I, again, I was sick and then got caught up with work. You and got then a good excuse. Me, I was just burned out. And <laughs> I, I was burned so. out and I had things going on behind the scenes and then other stuff yeah. happened. And it was like, man, do I really want to do this? And, uh, you know, a couple of people were just like, come on, come here. Let me give you a hug. Pat you on the back of the head. You got this? Yeah, I think so. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah, you got Here it. I am. And this right is going to be a great episode. I'm, I'm psyched. Provided it records, because right now I am right. in the middle of all thunderstorms. This is the first super heavy thunderstorm of the year. And just as we're recording this, we've got a possibility of 70 mile an hour winds. It's thundering really bad outside. There's a possibility of a tornado, because that's always fun during a quarantine. That's great. I could lose right. power. So hopefully we'll get through this in one piece. We will. We will. I feel good about it. We will. Yes. Focus and intention to, to just – That's it. Let's put it out there. So, put it out uh, there. It's got to be out there. I guess that's it and then we'll just jump into the episode yeah. and then uh, we will see all of you guys after we're done talking to Paul the here. The other side. And close it out. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's do it. Bye, everybody. Paul Ramashan. We did say the name wrong. Now, Paul, you are a crime scene investigator out of Utah. You're from you're from the Sandy, Utah area, I believe. You, uh, am I correct on that? 
Yeah, yeah, I was born in uh born and bred down in the Salt Lake uh County area, Sandy Midvale area. I've got a lot of friends that live around that area right now that I'm sure are listening to the show getting a good chuckle out of this. Um Every once in a while, we find some strange people. I don't mean strange people, but people that cover strange things out of Utah, which is weird for me because I didn't think Utah would be a city that would have that much weirdness in it. Oh, Um, I've been to Utah. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's definitely a strange place. This book is all about um, law enforcement personnel that have encounters with the paranormal. This is a subject I've been wanting to tackle for years but never been able to find anybody to come out and actually do it because law enforcement personnel, they're regarded in a higher standard. They're looked at as being honest individuals, people, I don't want to say of science, but of logic and reason. So, and I know people have experiences because I've talked to people that have had strange experiences that are in first responders, that are EMS, that are firefighters, that are law enforcement, but they're always very reluctant to come up and talk about this stuff because they don't want to be looked at, you know, oddly. So you managed to make a book of comp- compilation of all these stories. Now, you did change the names of the officers and stuff like that in there, which I can understand why. You don't want to be going into court to testify for a ticket and somebody come. well, you wrote a story in this book here and you believe in ghosts, so obviously you're a weirdo or something like that. But how did you go about gathering these stories and how hard was it to get this information out of these people? Was this stuff that they just kind of came up and forthright told you under the, you know, like, hey, change my name, but blah, blah, blah. You know, was, how hard was it to find these? Well, not really that hard. And I guess I should give you a little background, kind of where this all started. One of the things I've been I've been doing uh, crime scene investigation work for over 20 years now. And one of the things I love about my job is the storytelling culture that exists. And I ever since I was a little kid, I've loved campfire stories and I've loved old cool stories about um, my ancestors and cool ghost stories, and just I, I've re- I've always loved stories. And so, in law enforcement, there's a very rich storytelling culture. And I mean, one of the things that fosters it really is there's a lot of downtime. So unlike the movies or the TV shows that shows you know the CSIs or the cops just running from dangerous adventure to dangerous adventure, there's really a lot of downtime in reality. And so whether that's waiting for a search warrant or you're sitting around waiting to go into court or it's a a winter night and you're sitting around your favorite convenience store waiting for a call to come in, just there's a lot of downtime. Don't say donuts. You're going to say donuts, aren't you? Donuts or donuts were at play here. (laughs) I I love donuts. Who doesn't like donuts? On National Donut Day, I did a I did a tour. I got as many different places where I could get donuts as I could. So. Well, you're a that's cop, amazing. so yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is as well, why us us EMS people aren't uh, aren't losing any weight either. And <laughs> living at convenience stores and hot dogs and donuts. Yeah, and, and and to be clear, so just so we don't have any stolen valor issues here, so I'm actually not a sworn officer. Mm-hmm. So in in our area, like it kind of depends on what area you're at. But in our area, we have civilian people who came through academia, through the college route, who do the crime scene stuff. So I'm a civilian employee. I'm not an officer. So, okay, just so we get that clear. Right, right. um, 
stolen valor is a real thing. I don't want to steal any valor. So that blows my mind. But yeah, it absolutely is. I know it's nuts. <laughs> but anyway, so kind of kind of back to to the genesis of it. So I I love the stories, and you know some of the stories uh, are you know stories about different adventures that have been had in law enforcement. Some of them are unsavory R and X rated stories, and then some of the other stories um, sometimes uh, have revolved around the weird and even the paranormal. And so those are the stories I kind of gravitated to. And um, it was, boy, it's probably like been 10 years ago, just one day on Halloween, I just decided that as I went from call to call and met with the officers and other CSIs that I would just start asking some questions about, hey, have you ever seen ghosts or have you seen anything weird? And it was interesting, and, and you you bring up an extremely valid point in in the beginning is that yeah, in law enforcement we're we're supposed to be very serious, we're supposed to follow the law, we're supposed to be logical, all these things, but we also deal with death and stressful situations, and we work late nights, and we hang out in dark corners, and all these things, and so I was surprised that is when I asked the different officers, most of them had had some sort of paranormal experience. And um, some of them were not exactly forthcoming and they had to kind of see if I was serious or not first and others just told me right away. And so just the, the ball started to roll where I would just ask more and more questions. And um, yeah, eventually it was my wife's idea. She said, hey, you should really write some of these stories down in a book. And that's what I did, and hence fingerprints and phantoms. So where do you stand in the belief in all this? Do you believe that this stuff is real? Do you believe that it could be real? Do you believe it's not real, but you just enjoy talking about it? Do you have a spectrum that you view this from? Well, so I that's – it that um, – Complicated. I, I, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's complicated. And, and what I was about to say answers that a little bit is – one of the things that I think has helped me gathering a few stories is the area that I'm from. So in, in Utah, it's a very religious place. And um, many of the LDS people, of which I am one, have they, they believe in the afterlife. And they believe that a lot of times the, the spirit world is active, that, that people's ancestors will come to them in dreams and, and different things. And so coming from kind of a spiritual place and, and, and people that believe in that, a lot of times it, it's easier. They aren't as embarrassed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so where I stand um, on kind of the, the ghost story as, as exists in the book, I think that um, people are experiencing something. And I, I'm actually kind of skeptical when people just tell me a story uh, at first, like because so many things can kind of be misinterpreted, um, like say our office, like the, the office where we work, it is a we've had some legit kind of weird stuff that happens there. But it also has an old metal roof that when the sun comes up in the morning, it heats up and starts popping and people always say, oh, did you hear that? That was the ghost. And I'm like, no, it's the, it's, that's the <laughs> roof. And, you know, so, so I'm, I'm kind of skeptical, but the, where, where I look at it, and I guess this wraps around to your original question even, is 
the way I was trained to think as a forensic investigator, as a crime scene investigator, is a little bit different than the way uh, people are taught to think uh, in school using the scientific method. Okay, and so let me explain that a little bit. So the scientific method that kids are taught in school and most people kind of uh, use as their guide for life is that you first have a theory, you first establish your theory, and then you go and you seek evidence to prove or disprove your theory. And then at the end, after you've done all your testing, then you decide whether your theory is true or not. And the way I was taught, and my, my mentor, his name is Russ Dean, uh, he still teaches up at Weber State University in the criminal justice department up there. He, he, was my, he was my boss and my mentor. He taught us to think the opposite way, that when you first go into a situation with uh, you're investigating a crime, you shouldn't really form a theory right away. And the reason for that is when you have a theory originally, you can become anchored to that, that, that you, you have your theory and you like your theory. And even when evidence comes along that might disprove your theory, because you're anchored to that, and it's called anchoring bias, you can ignore evidence that would tend to disprove your theory. But the way we were taught is that you don't have a theory at first. You walk into a crime scene, there's a dead body there. Don't jump right away to, oh, who did it and this is how it happened. The thing that you do is you just start to gather evidence. You start to make observations. It's, oh, so there's the dead body right there and next to the dead body is a broken beer bottle. And then you just, you, you start from the bottom up and build your, make your observations, gather your evidence, and then at the end, after you've looked at everything you can look at, after you've thought of everything you can think of, then you make your theory in the end. And the, the, the importance of doing that is, as Russ taught us, was that you avoid tunnel vision. And so when we go, when we go to the paranormal, I, I've, I guess I haven't really experienced anything a lot myself. That's what a lot of people ask. Have you ever, have you ever had anything like, eh, not really. But when I hear certain Be stories. Be thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. It actually freaks me out pretty bad. And people have asked, oh, do you go out and investigate haunted houses yourself? I'm like, no, no, I don't. Be thankful for that. Well, for, here's the thing. Like, you've dealt with this stuff for a little while now. You've studied it. So at this point, if you were to have some kind of an experience, you would probably have a little bit of a buffer to fall back on to be able to deal with what's happening, I would think. But if you're somebody who's not into this kind of stuff at all, or you're not used to this kind of stuff, and then something happens, it can really tweak you a little bit. So, gotcha. yeah, be be glad that you haven't had anything super weird happen to you thus far. Having said yeah, that, by being the absolutely. nature of involving in this stuff, you're you kind of invited in. So at some point, don't be surprised if something weird happens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you know i was going to say is that you know they have that saying that if you stare far enough into the abyss the abyss stares back do you have you felt that you've gotten more kind of into the paranormal or had more things brought to you now that you've done the book i mean obviously people read the book and bring you stories but do you feel that you've you've kind of gotten uh more into it since you started looking into it than you were before when it was just general like oh i'm kind of interested sure i'll hear your story 
Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I have gotten any more into it since the book. I think it's about the same. I love to hear the stories and right. ask and ask the people that I go on calls with when I can. And so, yeah, I probably I probably haven't really changed. I've always just been so fascinated with it that, yeah, it's pretty high bar to begin with. So Right, right. There's a section of your book that I'm going to read, and I'm sure this has been read many times, so I apologize if you have to hear this one more time, but this gives kind of a little snapshot of what life is like for you. And you've got a section in here. Let me grab my glasses here, um, which I should have had sitting on my hand, but I didn't. Okay, here we are. Um, one Christmas Day several years ago, while most Christendom is enjoying <laughs> the holiday with family, friends, and delicious food, I was laying on a cold, hard ground with my head in a pool of water while trying to fish a used condom out from under a tough shed with a hockey stick. Such a yuletide <laughs> scene is not likely to be immortalized on a Christmas card anytime soon. When people who do not know me gush about how exciting and glamorous my job must be, I tell them that, that story and it ends conversation pretty quickly. So, is this an average night for you? I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's probably not an average night, but yeah, that. that how are you not an alcoholic? Because <laughs> I write books, right? Right. All right. Fair have enough answer. Yeah, I I love that that story in there. Um, before I got into EMS, I was an archaeologist, so we spend a lot of time in privies. If there's a historic area. We want to know where the where the privy was. We want to know where the where the outhouse was because that's where all your trash went. So we were never more excited to where water screening or going through a privy to try and find. We learned more about the family by being you know ear deep in their privy than we uh, we would just going back and reading reading the records of the of the real estate or records of the family. So I'm just like, yeah, and people always like, oh, it must have been awesome being an archaeologist. I'm like, yeah, you haven't lived that you found a 2,300-year-old turd, you know, and that, <laughs> again, and it shuts them up real quick. Yeah, a copper light, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, what, what, are the, what are the archaeologists going to say about uh, 2020s privies? They're going to say, boy, there's a bunch of cut-up T-shirts and paper <laughs> towels and, and they're right. in privies now. I live on a pond, and uh, my answer to everything when it doesn't work is I throw it in the pond. So I, I think in about 120 years when they excavate this area, they're going to be like, what in the hell happened here? <laughs> what is going on? So I'm going to yeah. jump right into it, and I'm going to ask you at least one story out of the book. And uh, Gary here's got one, too. I'm going to ask you about the Ogden Cemetery and the Ghost of Flow. So let's um, tell me stories about that. We love to hear stories. So if you've got them, free fill to tell them, and don't worry about taking up too much time. We're completely fine with that. All right. Well, flow flow is a local favorite. So if, if you grew up in Ogden or the surrounding areas, you knew about flow. And it's interesting when when you look at most areas have like their resident ghost that kids, horny teenagers go looking for, right? And so when I, I, like I said, before I grew up down in the Salt Lake area, and when we were growing up, it was called, it, the Salt Lake Cemetery had a thing called Emo's Grave, where the kids would go up, and if you, you, you know, went around and ran around the cemetery at night, and if you found Emo's Grave, you would put your hand on the urn, if you said something I can't remember now, you would see his face. And so that, that's the thing. That's the thing we grew up with. But in Ogden, it's flow. And 
there, there is some history. She uh, was a young lady who died in, I think it was 1918, from the Spanish flu. That, that's what the, the, the best information on her cause of death. And so, you know, I guess that has relevancy now when we have our own pandemic now. But, um, but that, that's, that's what caused her death. But she, for, I don't know when, I, I, I did some research on it and I couldn't really find when this all began to, the, the legend of her began to come about. But the, um, the story started to surface that if you would go and drive by her grave and flash your headlights, on the grave that you would see some uh, apparition of her, and some people have seen a full-fledged, uh, full-fledged, you know, full torso <laughs> version of her, young woman. Other people have seen orbs. Other people have seen these mists, and it revolves around that. And so it it, it took the legend even a little bit further because she seems to have like this affinity for cars. That some people would say, oh, she was killed in a car accident or, oh, she was waiting for her lover and she died or, you know, it just it took on that folkloric folkloric aspect that so many of these kind of regional local hauntings have. Mm -hmm. And like her, her true stories kind of got lost a little bit in in the uh, in, in, you know, history and, and folklore and legend the ether. Yeah, out in the ether. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. But but yeah, as far as I can tell, she died of the Spanish flu. But so the reason the reason I put that in the book is because in the book the the first part of the chapter or first part of each chapter is kind of some law enforcement or forensic kind of insider or almost like a brain vomit, you know, just me talking about my my job or different things that I've experienced, and then it transitions into the paranormal story. And so uh, the funny thing about cemeteries is officers love to go into cemeteries to type their reports at night. And the, the reason for this, and most people would be like, why would you go in there at night? <laughs> like, but the, they, most officers can't catch a break. If they try to pull in a parking lot somewhere to, you know, eat their sandwich and get caught up on paperwork, people are going to go talk to them. And I, I saw a funny meme a few weeks ago of like just these two happy looking uh, uh, elderly people pointing. It was just some stock footage. But the, the meme said, oh, look, there's a policeman. Let's go tell them about a crime that happened 18 months ago. And it's just it's one of those things. And so officers will go to someplace secluded so they can just catch a break. It's not that they're being jerks. And, don't and in the process, them. find somebody getting in trouble because they're in a secluded area. <laughs> that happens too. And yeah. so, uh, but then, you know, the Ogden city cemetery, and I think most cemeteries close at dark. And so, you know, it's kind of a dual purpose. They'll go drive a couple rounds through the cemetery and then pull in the back and write their report. And so I've had several officers who, when I ask, have you seen anything weird? They bring up flow. And uh, one officer, I, I talk about it in, in my book, he saw a floating, vaporous girl coming right at him. You know, he, he pulled up in front of the, the tombstone and he saw a, a, a ghost, you know, like 
just imagine the librarian and Ghostbusters, you know, right. this full so apparition, what does Dan Aykroyd say? Um, coming right at him. And and he he got out of there. But another officer, and this was the story that I thought was really interesting. Another officer was there and he saw this mist, this purple mist coming up over the hills towards him from the area of Flo's grave. And he, he looked at it and then he he went back to typing his report and then he looked up <laughs> it's a little closer and then he goes back to typing his report and then he looks up and it's a little closer and finally he decides, you know, he finishes report and he leaves. And so he's telling me the story and I'm just fascinated by it. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's a great story. And I said, were you scared? And he was like, no. And I'm but like, I well, loved. <laughs> right. Uh, who, who knows? He might have not admit it, but I just said, well, why not? Why weren't you scared? And he's like, well, I don't believe in ghosts. And you saw I'm just one. like, you yeah. saw one. <laughs> Usually there's not purple mist floating above the ground, coming luminous mist coming towards the car. But yeah, but yeah that anchor, you know, it's... So, um, have I, I'm curious, like, do you guys in the areas where you live have some kind of ghost stories like that, that, Oh yeah, off, everybody does. Cemeteries, like you, you hear, you know, the hitchhiker who's they pick up a girl and she's in a wedding dress, or and then she disappears. Like, do you guys have anything kind of local attached to some of your cemeteries? Um, I do. We have one. There's a city called Wyandotte, which is uh, it's one of the area's oldest cities. It's where the freighters for the Great Lakes used to be built and everything many many years ago. There's a cemetery there that uh, I was younger. I used to hang out in all the time. Um, all my life, I've been just intertwined with all of this stuff. So I would, when I was a kid and I would get depressed or whatever, fight with the parents or whatever, I would go hang out at the cemetery at night. Um, and it wasn't because it was spooky. It was just a very calming, peaceful place. And I wasn't really worried about ghosts or anything coming along. We had a house pretty much right across the street from it. This house did exist. This was real. It's no longer there. The house is still there, but it doesn't look this way anymore. There was this, the driveway was painted completely red, and there was this doll in the window that had lights on it. And oh, man. It's, this, really, this really was a thing, and it was really creepy. And there was always the story about how, um, why was this driveway red, and why was this doll in the window? And the, the legends were always along the lines of this person had a daughter. She was outside in the driveway playing and someone backed into the driveway and ran her over and the person tweaked a little bit. And that was how they dealt with the grief. And for years, people would just pull up. I felt bad for the people because people would just pull up in the middle of the night in the driveway and pull out again and look out. And somebody come up in the window and look in the window and stuff. And it was a really creepy house. So there was always these stories of this little girl who would come out and go across the cemetery and go back and forth. Um, There was also the stories of the, the, the lights down the road where a lantern would float out of a ditch and it would float down the road and the lights would twinkle and it would go away. Um, we had an area here that was this old building that was out in the middle of the woods and it was by a creek and a bunch of people went out there and partied and they painted it pink and it became known as the Pink Castle. So for a long time that was like a, a place to go and drink and hang out, but that was also a very reputed area. Um, we have the legend of the melon heads, which seems that a lot of states have that legend of this lost family of of like mutant inbred family where they all had like these melon heads with big bulging eyes. And there's an island down here off the city of in the city of Monroe, and there was an old mansion out there for years. And it was reported that these people, this melon heads, would live on this island, and they would come out of nowhere and freak people out and go melon away. Heads. Yeah, but that's actually a very common legend. You find that legend all over the place. Yeah, I have heard so. that. 
before. I know in Delaware we have the uh, Devil's Road, which I actually did a show on because uh, DuPonts lived there, and then it got this very anti-DuPont sort of vibe about it. And the way the trees would grow over top of rocks, and they started calling them baby cages and that's where the duponts took their illegitimate kids and left them to die and it just became this very morbid weird creepy road out there that everyone was afraid of when really there was nothing going on out there at all well and, and i i just love the folklore aspect of it and a hundred percent because like you know we go back to Flo, you know she was a real person her graves there like i mean we we walk and ride our bikes in the cemetery all the time. It's a very beautiful cemetery, and we drive past her grave. Like, she was a real person, but her story has just taken on this life of its own, and, and people are seeing something. I mean, I'm I'm not sure. denying that, but it fits into these these paradigms that you'll find all, all over the country and probably the world. Uh, it fits into these di- different – uh, different categories of, of folklore and stories that kids love to tell and scare their girlfriends and all this. And I, it's just fascinating. Yeah. And one of, one of the stories that absolutely, uh, and I'd mentioned to it to you before we started, it was the, uh, the story of the South central uh, dog men. And I, I'll word it like that and let you explain more, but that really uh, along with the, uh, the story of the woman on her porch, but I'll get to that on another one because that one actually creeped me out that was really cool but um yeah the the south central la dogmen story so tell us more about that okay so as as i told you i would ask all the officers that i went on calls with uh you know if they had anything ghostly happen to them or anything weird anything like that and uh a good friend of mine uh who this guy's a this guy's a great storyteller. He worked, he was a paramedic in LA during the riots, during the Rodney King riots. He has some wild stories from that. And then he was an officer and he has these really funny stories, uh, dealing with run-ins with celebrities and stuff like that. Just, just a funny, funny guy. But so he, he told me he, he hadn't really had any ghost stories. And I said, well, anything ever weird happened? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sort of. And he like, you could tell he was kind of hesitant to tell me. And I'm like, there oh. it is. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I, you know, because the, I mean, this story is wild. Like this is so crazy. I don't even know what to make of it myself. But finally, after a little, you know, a little cajoling, he told me the story and he said, okay. So he, he worked for a time in South central LA. So uh, one of the worst places, I guess, for a cop to work in the country at the time. I don't know how it is now, if it's gotten better, but you know, you hear pretty legendary stories from straight out of Compton. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he told me that they, they, when they would go and they were looking for people, they would, you know, certain people had warrants or they were suspects in crimes or whatever. And they, they they knew the, the people that they were looking for he said time and time again, something very strange happened when they would get in a foot chase with these guys. So they'd be driving along and they would look and see a guy and they would yell, you know, a guy they were looking for and they'd yell, stop police. And the guy would run and they would chase him on foot. And, you know, just imagine 
uh, TJ Hooker, you know, jumping over. Just thinking that. (laughs) Right. Swinging from rain gutters and all that stuff, you know, running through the streets of L.A. And he said time and time again, they were right on the, the perp's heels. And the guy would go around the corner and they would be only a matter of seconds behind him. And they would they would think a lot of times, oh, we know this is a dead end. We got this guy for sure. And they were just seconds, you know, three, four, five seconds behind the guy. They would come around the corner and he wouldn't be there. And there there was no real place for them to go. It was a dead end or there was a big fence at the end. Right. All the doors were locked. Like there was no really conceivable way this person could have slipped them because they were right on their heels. But the weirdest thing was, is not only was the person they were chasing gone, they would see in the vicinity there a dog that if you squinted, kind of looked like the person. If the person they were chasing was big, the dog was big. If the person they were chasing was kind of small and and scraggly, the dog was small and scraggly. And there would be a dog sitting there, and the dog wouldn't be scared by their sudden appearance around the corner. It would just look at them bemused. And then (laughs) most of the time, he said, there was a, a human article of clothing or oh, i guess human article of clothing we're usually the only ones who wear clothing <laughs> right i wasn't gonna <laughs> say anything but okay. so far. <laughs> i do have this one friend that likes to dress up her dog yeah okay I, yeah we, <laughs> it happens but usually right. it's just us wearing clothing. i realize that sounded a little weird but some some human implement that was by the dog like a sock or a shirt or a cell phone or something just sitting by this dog that vaguely looked like the person they were chasing and who just looked at them bemused. And this didn't just happen once or twice. It, according to my friend, it happened repeatedly. Oh. It happened to the point where they would, over the air, they would be like, oh, you know, they call in the code and we're in a foot pursuit down, you know, this street and, oh, we're going down, you know, they call out different things as they're in the, in the foot pursuit and they, but at the end, they would say, oh, we lost him. He turned into a dog. They would say that oh, right over the air. I want to hear those audio tapes. I know. <laughs> too. And, and so that's why, like, if there's any LAPD guys out there listening to this podcast, I would love to hear uh, some sort of uh, verification of the story. And I don't think my friend's pulling my leg. He, no. He, he, he's, he's a forthright guy. And, yeah, the, the fact that I kind of had to drag the story out of him you know, tells me that, you know, he's not really messing with me, but who knows? I would love to hear some verification, but um, yeah, he said it happened all the time. And, you know, when he's telling me the story, he's really confused with it. But I, you know, I, I start thinking about, you know, skinwalkers and right. Skinwalker yeah. Ranch and all these things, you know, and I'm just like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like I, I, I really don't even know how to wrap my mind around the story. But, you, get into the, you get into the Southwest and the stories of people, you know, being skinwalkers or being able to transform into animals is a lot more prevalent. So I wonder if it more comes out of kind of the barrios of South Central. Is that an already an established folklore to something in this? But it's definitely something I'm going to look into more and try and find 
some kind of correlation with this because I, again, I was telling you, you look at different movies and sure it's a great plot device, but why is it so many of those that they turn the corner, boom, there's a dog there. I mean, granted there's probably a lot of dogs, but I think there's definitely something to this phenomenon. Well, and, and, and what's interesting about it is, is he, he, he said, he was very careful to say these dogs weren't surprised by us. You know, normally if you have some stray dog on the street, it's a little, it's a little skittish, you know. It's a little flighty, and if a bunch of guys come running around the street or running around the corner, it would jump or yelp or something or growl. But the, they, he said, the dog always just looked like it was amused, just That's had great. on its face, like, huh. So, so yeah, I mean, the, this this story seems weird, but it isn't. Yeah, there, there's enough, there's enough legends, there's enough belief native american beliefs in the skinwalker that like well what what is the correlation there like is there something going on to this you know that yeah this is one of those stories i love it it's bizarre it's strange yeah i don't know how to wrap my mind around it if no you, for sure if you do some research and find some stuff you you i will, will let you know oh, for yeah, sure. you're here. <laughs> for that sure. brings me to my next question Almost all of the stories in this book, with the exception really of that one, pertain to ghost stories, officers seeing ghosts, inspectors, or things along those lines. Now, since then, I'm going to assume that since you put this out there, that more people, because this stuff tends to, once you put it out there, it tends to attract other people. So I'm sure you've probably got a ton more stories since then. Of those stories... How many of those have you collected that are relating to things other than ghosts, like UFOs, other cryptids? Uh, Gary had asked me to ask you if you have any instances of people being possessed. Yes, I know there are meth heads out there. But do you have other stories that branch off into other areas of high strangeness outside of the realm of ghosts? You know, that's a good question. And I, I've i had a few people talk to me since about Bigfoot encounters. And so, I mean, where Ogden is, if I left my house and just walked, I would be in literally in the mountains, in mountain canyons, walking from about 20 minutes from just where we're at. Like Mm -hmm. the mountains are literally in our backyard in this town. And so, yeah, I didn't I didn't put any Bigfoot stories in the book, but there's a really interesting one that uh just up the canyon from Ogden, it's called Ogden Canyon. It leads from the the city, uh, kind of the north, well, a little north middle end of the city, and then goes up to Pineview Reservo- Reservoir and Huntsville, Utah's up there. There's a couple ski resorts, Powder Mountain. They had the Super G during the Olympics, the 2002 Olympics up at Powder Mountain. So it's it's a really nice area up there. But in, in the canyon. Uh, the sheriff's uh, deputies patrol the canyon, not Ogden City Police. We have different agencies in our area. And so I, I heard this story from a former lieutenant of mine because our command structure goes through uh, the sheriff's office. And him and one of his buddies, they were up patrolling the upper valley in the canyon one night and uh, cops like to you know stay in their car when they're chatting but they pull door to door yeah so they yeah pull driver's door to driver's door and so they were just up in the parking lot of this building kind of by the the dam the the dam for the pine view reservoir 
and it was winter and they were just talking and the snow started to fall a little bit but you know it's pretty typical especially up in the canyon uh any time of the winter really for a little snow to fall so they were just sitting there door to door talking and after a while they they i think one of them had to take a leak and so he got out of his car if i'm remembering the story correctly he got out of his car and then started to holler and say hey come here come here you got to look at this you got to look at this and so so my former lieutenant he jumped out of his car and walked over to where the other guy was indicating and it was just you know like maybe a eighth of an inch of snow on top of black top so it was just you know not a lot of snow but really perfect for footprints so back behind where their trucks were parked were giant bare footprints that cut across the parking lot and they were like, uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. They, they were they were big, big footprints. And uh, another officer told me a story. Uh, yeah, and this was after the book had come out, too. He was up, and, and this guy's a hunter. So the guy who told me this story, he is a big-time hunter. He Anytime he has off, he's out in Utah, Wyoming, and he's – hunting deer elk antelope whatever he can whatever he can do so he's very familiar with the woods very familiar with animals and the animals that are out there and so he was driving up even further up the canyon if you go really far this road it's called monte cristo road it goes up over this pass it's about ten thousand feet above sea level and eventually, if you take that road, you can end up in Wyoming or up in Bear Lake. It, you can just get up really far. And he was driving up over Monte Cristo one night, and he said, it's a really windy road. It goes back and forth, back and forth. And he said one night he's driving, and, it's, and he's coming around to turn. His lights start to pan. You know, they panned off the road, but as they start to come back on the road, there was a bipedal, very hairy creature Ooh. walking right across the road. And he said, I've seen bears. I've seen hundreds of bears before. But this, it was walking like a man. Its arms were really, really loping, just, you know, swinging like a bear. You know, when a bear's up on two feet, its front legs are up, you know. Yeah. But the, sure. these, these arms were swinging and it, it, you know, he came into his headlights, but then it went off into the trees and... He didn't see it again after that. So, yeah, those, those are those are two of, you know, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, those, those, those stories, I, I believe that those guys saw something that, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't explain it. But I believe that they are telling me what they saw. So was that up in near Cold Springs or just still down in like Ogden Canyon? No, Monte Cristo's up. You you okay. go you go past Pineview and then you go up another canyon and it's past uh oh what's the other reservoir up there? Causey Reservoir. Okay. And keep going and you it eventually goes over over the Wasatch Mountains and you end up down in Randolph. Right. I think so yeah, it's it's but it's a really high pass. I mean I think yeah it'd be higher than ten thousand feet. But yeah, I mean sure, it's sure. pretty high up there. But it, one of the other thing I know, since you're in Ogden, I have to ask you if you've had 
a predominance or had a, any cases on 25th Street? Because I know 25th Street and the, the tunnels under the shops and everything kind of has its own kind of creepy aura in Ogden. Yeah, 25th Street's fascinating. Like there, there's there's entire books written about that place because uh, what what's what's really interesting about it, or you know, kind of the the genesis of where all of the rowdiness from there came from, is that um, Ogden was the it's still called the Junction City. So all the railroads, if you were riding a train from east the eastern United States to the western United States or vice versa, you came through Ogden. And, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, the Golden Spike when the Transcontinental Railroad was joined. That was just, you know, a little, you know, about an hour and a half north of here at Promontory Point. And so Ogden has been this railroad town ever since. And, yeah, you you couldn't go from east to west or west to east without coming through Ogden. So 25th Street was just right off of the, it still is, right off of the the main railroad terminal there. So it it has this glorious and seedy past of uh, speakeasies and, and brothels and all this stuff. And during the war, during the Second World War, the troop trains were coming through. And, and so there's all these legends. And some people deny that they're real, but there's all these legends that there were tunnels that went from the train station to all the different bars and brothels and everything on on 25th street and just there's there's murders that happen there and all the old time cops used to have all these dust ups there and everything now it's it's been gentrified like there's nice boutiques and and nice restaurants and stuff it's actually really cool it's a really cool street and there there's still a few CD bars down there, but it's been gentrified. But I've uh, I've been down in the basements of some of those buildings there, and you can see where the tunnels are bricked up. Like those tunnels are not a myth. I, I don't know why some people want to say that they aren't there. And so one one of the buildings there, it's it's been renovated. I doubt this is there anymore, but it was like a small hotel there. We went down in the basement once, and it used to be a brothel. But it mm-hmm. was a, a sleazy brothel. You just had like little closet-sized rooms with beds in it. You know, it wasn't a right, night. right. You know, talking silk sheets here and velvet opium, curtains. Opium den, just yeah. little tiny closet rooms. Yeah, I know. It, it, I mean, it, I've heard of these things. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Never, no, no, these things. Yeah, yeah. You, you could still see on the wall, like the the little rooms were gone, but you could see on the wall where the frame the walls and the studs and everything had been had been nailed on the floor like you could see the outlines of these little rooms that were still there so yeah none i don't i'm trying to think i don't think any of the stories from my book come from 25th street itself but at the top of 25th street there's a hotel that was called the ben loman hotel forever yeah yeah i can't remember what it's called now they They've changed, I think it's called the Bigelow, but that place is haunted. Like that's one. I remember that from your book. Absolutely. Well, and and stuff still happens. So um, an acquaintance of my wife, uh, she had uh, had to stay a few days there while her, I think her apartment, uh, some sewage backed up into it. And so while it was being cleaned, the landlord gave her a few nights at that Bigelow. 
And the, the first night she was there, and I mean, this is just a few weeks ago, but the first night she stayed there and everything was fine. Second night, didn't see anything. But on her last night there, in the middle of the night, she wakes up. She feels something watching her. She wakes up and looks out, and there's this little girl standing at the edge of her bed. Oh. And well, Creepy she, kids I draw the line at. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't know why the kids are creepier than adults, but the creepy kids are like, sorry, I can't stay. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's creepy, but, but yeah, so she looks and then the girl walks out of the room and so she kind of gets up and says nothing. It's gone. <laughs> so that, this was oh, just like a, yeah, a month ago or so, but yeah, the, the Bigelow hotel, that place is haunted. Like it's, it's pretty rare. Um, I don't think I told this story in my book, but one officer who he's, he's quite a, at a high rank now. But uh, him and his wife went and stayed there one night. Uh, I think it was around Halloween. And in the middle of the night, you know, nothing happened while they were up. And, you know, they had a few drinks and were just, you know, kind of chilling and enjoying it. And nothing really happened. And then they went to bed. And then in the middle of the night, all the drawers just started to shake. Oh, wow. All this clanking going on. And, and it was it was just the drawers. It wasn't anything else really going on. And so... Yeah, it's the, the Bigelow is a haunted place. And that's so if you go to the end of 25th Street, the Bigelow Hotel is right there. But but yeah, there's there's a lot of cool. Supposedly Al Capone, I think it was Al Capone, said that even 25th Street scared him back in the day. It was so. Wow. <laughs> he got around, didn't he? I mean, he was like George Washington. They could just start putting up, you know, Capone slept here. Well, and, and, and it's 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 not. It's not far-fetched that he was here because, yeah, if he took yeah. a train from Chicago to L.A., he would have had to go through Ogden. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, it's uh, – Ogden's a cool town. Like, I didn't I didn't grow up here. I grew up down in Salt Lake, but I, I love Ogden now. I feel more akin – I feel more at home here in Ogden. It's a very, very diverse community for Utah, a lot of cool stories, cool old buildings. Like, it, it's yeah. – it's down. I like it. The guys that run your motorcycle training course out there um, are really good friends of mine. They've got a podcast called Wheel Nerds. It's based out of right there. And uh, oh, that's where they're from. Yeah, I've heard they, you that's, talking that's about them. Yeah, Chuck and Todd are from right there. So, uh, and Melinda's not too far away from there either. Actually, I'm sure she's giggling right now. So it's 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 just funny how like we end up talking to you, and I'm like, man, I know a lot of people that live out there. There's another guy. I think he's Danny Stewart, and he runs the haunted the haunted Provo tours out there. I've had him on the show a couple of times too. If you know who oh, okay. he is, two words you don't hear often: haunted and Provo. <laughs> Apparently it's a it's a pretty it's bizarre a city. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty. It's, well, is that the old the state hospital? Is that the tour? That's city? part of it. Yeah. He well, he yeah. takes people on the tour of the city and talks about different folklore and hauntings and things like that. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, we've had him on here before, and uh, you know I stay in contact with him through Facebook and stuff. I've I've kind of accumulated over the years all these like odd historians and just people who are into the strange and things like that. So like talking to you, people who are that that know the folklore. Or or the ghost stories and things like that. Any chance I get to talk to people like you, I immediately jump at it. And then when I saw the law enforcement angle on it, I'm like, okay, yeah, we got to do this. And I've got a pretty good relationship with the publisher from that book from Schiffer. So, you know, they're like, yeah, here's here's the book. So, you know. Tell them there needs to be a sequel. 
That's what I was going to ask you. Are you <laughs> there gonna... definitely needs to be a sequel. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm sure you've got lots more of these stories and stuff. That's why I was curious about the ones that didn't make it into the book. And, like, do you have enough to write another book? You know, I have a good start for it. I got a little sidetracked working on um, some school stuff. So, but yeah, it's definitely in the plans here in the next little bit to start collecting and writing down some more stories. So, yeah. There's great stories in there. So, I mean, people need to go out there and get this book because if for no other story alone than the number of the beast, yeah. that was the <laughs> creepiest story. Uh, do you, you want to tell them a little bit about that one? Yeah. And, and it's funny. I, it's some of the, some of the stories in it aren't blatantly like ghost stories. And it, it's funny. Like you, you read different reviews on, on Amazon and Goodreads and stuff. And some people have been like, well, that book was fun, but it wasn't really terrifying. And it wasn't always about ghosts. And <laughs> like, well, right, right. It says paranormal and strange, you know? So, right. I mean, but but so yeah, this one this was a weird one. So we we hang out at a Seven Eleven in town. It's at Twenty Fourth and Monroe. If 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 you're in Ogden and you want to come talk to a CSI one day, we're probably hanging out at Twenty uh, Fourth and Monroe. Between, <laughs> if I'm ever out there, I will come look you up, sir. I'm gonna be like, hey, remember me? <laughs> yeah, my we'll, buddies I'll are gonna like really, donut. dude. <laughs> we'll get a donut and we'll get That's some. It some vitamin water if we're trying to be good, not drinking the hard stuff, you know, but, but so, um, you know, a lot of, and it's, it's in a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a blighted area of town. And so you get lots of interesting people coming in there and whatever. I mean, I don't care. They're just people. Um, everyone's just out trying to make their way in the world. But, um, so we, we were there and we kind of come and go, you know, especially in the summer when we're hot, you know, you fill up your water bottle, your ice and, the manager, so new, we, we, we love the guy and he loves us. And, and so, but, but one day we, we got a call for uh, a death that had happened just right down the street from 7-Eleven. And, and uh, some people just reported that a, an elderly woman was walking down the street and she just basically killed over there on the sidewalk and driveway. And so, you know, we went over there and, and, you know, it's it wasn't a crime, and, and it's crime scene investigators. Every death call we go on is not necessarily a crime. If there, if a person dies and there's just no obvious reason, and and the doctor will not sign the death certificate, then it, we call it an unattended death, and we need to go and kind of do an investigation. And so we go, and you know, I'm taking my pictures, and we're looking at her, and there's no signs of injuries or or anything like that, and. And, you know, by her, there's a 7-Eleven bag. And we're just talking about, oh, man, like, you know, we were just there. Like, we might have seen, was this lady in there when we were there? And, you know, just kind of gets all that weird, you know, kind of talk. Like, boy, we could have saw this woman just minutes before she died. And we're talking, you know, and it's just kind of weird in, in, in that realm. And then I, I decided at some point to just look at the receipt. I mean, she just had a few little food items in there. But you look oh, at yes, I remember this. Yes, yes. Yeah, you, you know, you look at receipts. It, it'll give you the time she was there. That's I don't. That's probably what I was thinking. Like, oh, I wonder what time she checked out. You know, is that the time we were? But when I pulled the receipt out and was looking at the time, and receipts are good evidence, by the way. They're, they can tell you yeah. lots of stuff. 
but so we're looking at it and when you know i look at the date and the time and oh maybe i don't think we were there yet you know just kind of looking at it but then i looked at the total and the total for her purchases was six dollars and 66 cents at that point i'm like Oh, okay, it's a little weird, you know. She she makes a purchase at Seven Eleven. Minutes later, she's dead. And how much did she pay for her goods? Six six six. So yeah, just one of those things. I don't know. Maybe maybe most people would be like, hmm, "That's a dumb story," but it, we no, were just. No, I thought it was it was a fun story, and that <laughs> one think involving the, the... Sa- uh, death and Satan is a fun story. <laughs> it is, and it. it... I'm not sure if that one led into the the one with the lady on the front porch that would only face down with her hair covering her face and the the weird like snot hanging down like two feet and oh that one was creepy and yeah. uh, was that with Mike? No, it wasn't Mike. I can't remember the officer's name, but uh, that he had to come around the corner and deal with that creepy mess. <laughs> And, and Gary, you asked about possessions. And yeah. So, so this is this, all the stories in my book and even ones that I've really collected. That's the one that I'm like, I think she was possessed. Oh, and, yeah. And yeah. like the, the backstory to that is the, the officer who went to this call, he was, well, still is a tough guy. Like he's really strong, not afraid to mix it up. And he's he's a good cop. I mean, he's not someone out there looking to just violate people's rights for the heck of it. But, you know, there's certain people that mm-hmm. only understand a little bit of force, you know. And so, like, he's he's tough. Like, he knocked this huge guy out once. This guy had beaten up his wife really bad. And he was not cooperating. And he tried to fight. And, yeah, he got knocked out with one punch from this cop. So, I mean, this this cop was tough. I mean, really tough guy. And so, but yeah, they, they get this call and, oh, I can't remember. I should have reviewed that story, but I, I can't remember if they heard the music or if someone called it in. I can't remember now, but, but so they, they respond to this. And, you know, even though this guy doesn't fear any man, like you said, they go on this back porch and there's a, there's a, a stereo playing just, just super heavy death metal and yeah, it's a scene like right out of the grudge. The grudge, isn't that the? Yeah, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. So yeah, the, the the woman sitting there. Yeah, she has. Or was it the ring? I don't remember. They're both about the same, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, maybe it was the ring. But yeah, she's sitting there. She has this dark black hair, and it's just covering her face. She has snot, and they're trying to talk to her, and she's just not responding. And this guy has a terrible 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 feeling he just feels like he wants to flee he just wants to get out of there he is so oppressed and freaked out by what's going on and so finally oh, what does she say she's like i want to see the missionaries <laughs> and he's uh, yeah, like yeah uh, uh, okay okay well, i'll go get the missionaries <laughs> they, just, <laughs> they just like took off like yeah that's a good idea missionaries should should come see you and so yeah, he was he was freaked out by that. And he even, you know, it was probably months later when he told me that story and you could tell he was like still still really creeped out by that. So, so let me um let me ask you this. Every city, at least I I know mine does and I've, I've, many people have others I've talked to, they always have the creepy old haunted asylum. You guys have Belshire. So, do you have any stories out of that one? 
I don't. I yeah, I haven't. Um, I haven't talked to anybody who'd been down there, and yeah, none of the officers had either. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any stories from there. Is that still standing yet, or? Um, I think it is. They've been doing a bunch of renovations in that area, but I think it was ruled a historic building. So yeah, I think it is still standing. They'll make it apartments and then wonder why shit goes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't well, right. Why? <laughs> why? It was just a crazy asylum where people were making weird experiments on people. What could go wrong? Yeah, what could go wrong? Well, <laughs> And it is interesting, like kind of what we were talking about earlier with, uh, you know, the bottom up, bottom up approach to to gaining knowledge or to, you know, forming your opinion. That's that's where I people might take exception that someone who's supposed to be dealing with science and law and logic is is dealing with or is interested in this subject. But there are my 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 approach to it and my philosophy is people are experiencing something. Okay. And I, who am I to tell them they aren't? And then so often or every so often you have a a story that you can't just dismiss out of hand, just because you might be anchored to the, to the theory that there are no ghosts if you're really looking at the evidence, there are certain things you can't just dismiss. And I think both of you guys have experienced that and talked to people and oh, had sure. to yeah. yourself, or you can't just, you can't just out of hand dismiss it. And so the, the story that is most interesting in the book, I think with that regards is there was a murder that happened uh, pretty early in my career. And it was a really, it was a really bad one. It was a bad cut up job where an estranged husband just butchered his wife. And what happened is as, as as best we can figure is he was chasing her down the hall of this little apartment that they were in. And we think she was trying to get into the bathroom, but the bathroom door unfortunately opened out so she got pinned up against that door, and that's where she was killed. And uh, just like I said, really bloody, really nasty, cut-up job. And so I mean, we we felt, and and you know, it, it's hard to to kind of to separate the gruesomeness of what you're seeing from other emotions. But we felt when we were going in and out of that scene every day for a week when we were processing it, you could feel her there. Uh, and, and it got to the point where people would even say hi to her. You know, you'd walk in the scene and say hi and say her name. And it it, it was just, it, it was a real feeling. And, and once again, okay, uh, a skeptical person could say, well, you just had this traumatic experience of seeing her like that and, and, and it's residual, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And okay, I'll, 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 I'll listen to that. But where it gets interesting is that uh, a couple years later, uh, the place had been cleaned up and renovated and new people were living in this apartment. And and it had been long enough that this murder wasn't really talked about or or still buzzing around the apartment complex. Like it, it had you know, been a year or two, 
memory of it had kind of faded. And, you know, apartment complexes, people come and go. You know, there's not a lot of long-term residents there. And so uh, a couple was living in the exact apartment where this murder happened. Well, one of the officers who first responded to the scene got called back to that very same apartment for some minor call. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like a noise complaint or a juvenile something, you know, just some some minor infraction. You know, it wasn't even a big crime. And he just had to take a report from these people. And, you know, for him, it felt a little weird going back there because he was, yeah, he was one of the first officers on scene who was found her, found her lying there. And so, so he's feeling a little bit weird, but he's very professional. Uh, he just, this officer just recently retired. Um, he's a great, great officer. I really miss him. But so, but he, you know, he's doing his job, being a professional about it. And he takes a report and everything's just going routinely. And then they, they kind of wrap things up. And so he's getting ready to leave. And the, the, the lady who's there says, Hey, officer, did somebody get murdered in this, this apartment building? And when, when she says that, he said he felt, you know, kind of the blood drain from his face a little bit. And he's like, Oh, well, yeah. And she said, well, which unit? And he said, well, are you sure you want to know? And she goes, yeah, I, I, I want to know. And he said, well, it was this unit, this very unit. And so the whole time, the, the husband or boyfriend or whatever sitting on the couch, and he goes, well, that explains a few things. <laughs> and, and then they just kind of act like the matter's over, right? And, and you know, they seem satisfied, like, okay, well, that explains a few things. And so, but Mike, he, he's like, well, wait, well, wait a minute. Like, what, what, what do you mean there? And they said, oh, well, you know, just nothing, you know, like, sometimes the the light in the hall will go on and off and you know it's just kind of weird and, and they said but but the kind of the weirdest thing that happens is the bathroom door will just open by itself we'll we'll have it closed and it will just swing open and this happens all the time and you know when mike heard that then the blood really drained from his face because if you remember, this is the door that she was pinned up against. And it was it would open by itself, which leads you to wonder, was she trying to do in death the thing that she couldn't do in life to save her life? And so when you hear that story, it's like, okay, it checks certain boxes. Oh, a murder happened here. And strange mm -hmm. thing. It kind of checks certain Residual boxes. energy, yeah. Yeah. It checks these boxes, but but what what I find intriguing about it is is they had specific or through the story they didn't necessarily know it, but they had specific details of this case. So this wasn't disseminated in the papers. This wasn't on the news that she was pinned against this door and probably trying to get it open, and that's where she was killed. So they had this specific knowledge, and so when I when I hear this. How can I dismiss it? How, how can a person who's been trained to think and not get tunnel vision and to think from the bottom up rather than the top down, how, how can I just say, oh, well, it's just a coincidence or blah, blah, blah. Like, how can I dismiss it? They're experiencing something and, and it has very specific relationship with the crime that happened. How can I just dismiss that out of hand?
I agree. I agree. I, even in EMS, you come upon some really weird situations. And one of the firehouses I was out of was quite haunted from doors opening and closing to doors of the doors of the ambulance opening to uh, movement of stretchers around the building caught on surveillance cams. So it's, it's absolutely stuff you're going to run into. It's just that some people in business where you're dealing with a lot of death seem to come from two schools. Either they're processing it with a, there's no ghost, there's none of this. It's just, this is all just stuff that happens and I don't think about it. I don't talk about it. And then that other group is like, yeah, I'm seeing weird stuff and maybe that comforts me too because that helps give me that, well, there's something after here. So even though I, I, it's the way different people are going to process death, I think. And maybe that's what leaves us opening why some of us see more and others don't. But, uh, yeah, when you have to deal with death, just like you do on, and then the the worst kind of death, you know, a lot of times I'm seeing people that had a cardiac arrest or a stroke or things like that, where you're dealing with some of the, some of the rawest and, and most disturbing elements of humanity. So it's, it's really fascinating seeing it from your standpoint and how officers have to deal with that. Well, Gary, let me ask you a question. So what one, I, I, I wrote it as just a book of stories. You know, it's more like folklore than it is some scientific treatise or paranormal investigation guide or whatever, but I couldn't help noticing certain patterns or certain threads. And so one of the things that I noticed is and I want to get your perspective on it from EMS, is that it seems like sometimes these spirits or this residual energy or whatever it is, is associated with the property of a person. So like right. in office, when we collect evidence from a homicide and it's sitting on our evidence shelf, we don't have the, the main evidence storage facility at our place. We collect things while we're documenting it or drying it or going to process it for a few things and then we return it. But while we have evidence of a murder, there seems to be this uptick in kind of weird stuff that goes on in our office. Strange noises, yeah, stuff turning on, you know, you know, radios turning on by themselves or just different weird stuff. And then when that evidence is packaged and sent off to where it needs to go, then it, we have this dip again. Did you notice any parallels like that? I know that EMS wouldn't necessarily collect evidence, but you would have maybe bloody sheets or clothing that you cut off or something. Did you notice any kind of parallels like that or that seems to be the the spirit or whatever it is is associated with the property? I haven't mainly because probably, you know, we're not going back to that same property as often and – Anything cut off is dumped at the hospital along with, you know, the person that we cut it off. So we don't get a lot of that that comes back. But there's definitely been really horrific scenes, whether it was, you know, a family car accident or multiple car accidents or fire where a family is destroyed that we would have running things going on in the firehouse where things started acting strangely for us, if not at the firehouse and at our own homes and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think of one that might be an example, but, uh, Oh, so, well, that's interesting. That was another one of the things that I noticed is it seems that sometimes 
ghosts will follow crime scene investigators home from the scene. Oh, I yeah. was wondering, so that's why I asked you at the beginning of the show, not to cut you off, if you've ever seen anything, because I, I've heard of, you know, you have things like this that happen, that sometimes people will go to antique stores, or sometimes, you know, that, that sometimes these things latch on and follow you home. And you investigate a lot into this shit. And what is very frequently heard is, is, as Gary was saying, when you look into the abyss, it looks back. When you poke at this stuff, it will sometimes poke back. And you're in a prime situation, if you are of that mindset, to where you're investigating this stuff. I'm sure you've seen some very horrific things to where I investigate this stuff. I'm open to it. Hey, I'm going to I'm gonna go home with you because I don't know where the hell I am and I don't know what's going on right now. So... That's why I was so curious about it. You know, that's why because there's there's usually a trigger that brings people into this. Something happens to somebody or whatever that creates that initial spark to go down this path. So I was like, well, he's a crime scene investigator. He's probably seen a thing or two. I'm sure something has happened to him by this point. But you said no. So that shot it down. <laughs> well, well, that that's my experience. So I have never had it. But, but in the book, I talk about two of my colleagues. And then I've heard other stories since where crime scene investigators have had things follow them home. And I mean, that's, that was really story zero for this book is my dear, dear friend, Mitch. Um, he, he had a ghost follow him home and it was a, it was a double homicide, really kind of a gruesome case. I mean, it wasn't a, a knifing, but it was a shooting and the, the mother or the daughter had to watch the other one die because the bad guy killed the mom first and then the daughter. I mean, they were right there. And it just just a really horrific case. And it, it was interesting because at one point he was kind of a young examiner at the time and he was kneeling down in front of the body and he was alone because in the ebb and flow of crime scene, sometimes there's a few people there. Sometimes they're not. You're going about doing different tasks. But so he was alone with the bodies and he just said, and this was just a purely mental exercise. Like he didn't expect an answer. This was just a mental exercise. He said, tell me what happened to you. And as soon as he did that, the lights in the room went out. Mm. And so he's just sitting here alone in the dark with two dead bodies. And <laughs> it really freaked him out. Well, what kind of an answer and, is that though? You know, it's <laughs> right. And and so when the lights came back on and it you know seemed like an eternity, but it might have just been a few seconds, he came out and found us. And he's like, hey, guys, did did you guys see the, did the lights of the house go out? I think we're out on the side of the street. And we're like, no, we didn't see any lights go out. You know, like nothing really seemed to happen. <laughs> and so he's like, OK. And he shook it off and we went back and we did our job. And, but then after that, after that moment strange things started to happen at his house and the his dog he had this adorable pug um named the dude just this crazy pug all pugs are kind of crazy but this this pug was exceptionally crazy but the pug started to act really weird it would watch something walk through the room but there was nothing there you know you know its head would be tracking or it would be looking up in the corner and and bark and then there was all these electrical anomalies that would happen in his house. He came in late for work one day and we were razzing him and he's like, Oh, my my clock and everything and my my alarm clock went out. This was before cell phones, you know. 
when, <laughs> when we had alarm clocks still. But he, he was like, yeah, my alarm clock went out, and but no, none of the other power in my house was out. And just all these weird things were happening to him. And eventually he was single at the time. And he was he started to date a new gal and she came to his house for the first time and she was an intuitive. And she said, whoa, you got somebody here. You got, you got a ghost here. And so just kind of through process of elimination, you know, asking different questions, they figured out that it was this girl that that moment he opened himself up spiritually or whatever just by asking her a question she latched onto him and followed him home and was in his house until he moved. Never and, caused him any problems or anything? Well, you know, the once he kind of figured out what was going on, like weird stuff would happen and the dog would still act weird, but you know, it was nothing, you know, terrifying or demonic or anything. Just there was little electrical glitches and the dog would act weird, but you know, he kind of kind of came to peace with it, like, okay, well, whatever, you know. See, that, um, that kind of thing, as long as it's not doing any kind of harm or anything like that, I don't think that would bother me. I think I would actually probably take pity on the person because they're dead. They, how, who knows how it works? And they've come home with you and it's like, all right, well, you know, I guess in some way or another, I'll take you under my wing. You're welcome to be here. Just don't cause any problems. And, you know, welcome yeah. to the family. You know, well, a lot of people get weirded out by that. I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, if, if this is all you got and if this is what I can do for you, you know, just don't cause us any problems and welcome home, you know? Yeah. And the, the trouble, and we tease Mitch because Mitch is a very handsome guy and, and the girls loved him. And we're like, man, Mitch, even the dead girls love you. <laughs> Not a bad problem to have, you know? Yeah, yeah. It sucks to be him, right? <laughs> so, you know. I have well, so many comments I could add there, and I'm just going to let them go. Yeah, it's probably best. Yeah, it's probably best. <laughs> well, so, Gary, Gary, I'm fascinated. You said that EMS, some of your associates have had stuff follow them home? Oh, I, yeah. Um, they'll, they'll have a – you know, I found it more with the firemen than just the regular plain EMS folks. And maybe that is because you're – you're fighting for them. There's an actual exchange of energy there. I mean, not that we're not fighting for them. We're using equipment. We're fighting for them. We're trying to get them back if they had passed. But with the firemen, it's not a natural death. They didn't, you know, it wasn't part of maybe their timeline or whatever. But the firemen have had uh, situations where maybe a, a family or someone in the family had passed. They go home. They start smelling. I'm I'm making this up because I can't think of an example at the moment, but uh, smelling burning all the time. But it's a different burning, almost like a black shop. And then find out that the father was a blacksmith, or uh, oh, uh, they had a uh, a house where the a large percentage of the family perished in the fire. Uh, thankfully, to smoke inhalation and not the flames themselves. But that's it, a hard time for the firemen and EMS, obviously when you're so many people, I think it was four in this case had passed away and they, they do offer counseling, things like that. And most of us are just like, I, you know what I don't want to do right now is talk about it. So yeah. they, okay. they come back and, uh, you finish the shift or whatever have you, or in that case, it's like, all right, you guys all go and a new shift is brought in early. And people that, you know, start, they dream about it or 
all of a sudden out of nowhere they'll start craving certain foods and you know they they follow up with the family and a lot of times they'll go to the the funerals things like that and find out yeah come back to the house afterwards oh we're having this because blah 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 was his favorite dish and it's the same one that he's been craving out of nowhere that he's say brussels sprouts you know it's like i I hate brussels sprouts i'm never going to eat them and all of a sudden they're craving brussels sprouts and it's just these like little things it's not anything so in your face as oh i saw someone standing in my door you know and oh and that's the guy but it's these little things it almost made you think that they were it gives you this connection and uh, I've found that prevalent where they'll come back and be like, yeah, I'm having weird – I can't get this song out of my head. And it'll end up being the the, the person's wedding song or things like that. But uh, it, it's prevalent enough that it makes us when, – when we this thing kind of would happen, we'll be like, oh, we got to find out if that's connected or not. And more more times than not, it, it is somehow. And it's not scary, but it's bizarre. Well, it, it just goes back to what I was saying. Like, like, how? What are the odds? You know, if you just look at it statistically, what are the odds that the the fire crew that uh, tried to save this one person um, from dying in a fire and failed that they start to think about that person's wedding song or crave right. their food? Like, just if you just looked at it statistically. the the odds are almost astronomical. Like there there are, and it's never some normal song, you know, it's always something out of left field, maybe from the twenties or the thirties. Like, I don't even, where did this song come from? I didn't hear this lately. And yeah. Or Brussels sprouts. Who craves Brussels Brussels sprouts? No one craves that. I don't have a big enough beard to crave Brussels sprouts. (laughs) So so, I just go back to that. Like, okay, you, you can, you can, Someone who's who doesn't believe in this stuff can can cast shade on us all day. Sure. Oh, like how can you believe in that? But just if you look at it from the ground up, if you just follow these breadcrumbs of evidence where they go, something is going on. Yeah, a hundred percent. What is it? I don't know. Mm-mm. But something is happening. There's there's no other logical explanation for why certain things would happen. And, and, but you know, if you're, if you're anchored to the uh, materialistic view that, well, there's no, there's no spirits, there's no whatever, you know, there's no paranormal, then you're, you're going to be anchored to that and you're just going to dismiss the information that you get. But if you're open-minded and just follow where it goes, like something's going on. And there, there's a lot of stories of haunted ambulances, ambulances that just have weird, weird experiences in them uh, from things that can be explained away as electronic issues. But other ones where radios cut out and, you know, where everything will just drop dead on the ambulance completely. And there's no battery problems, no electric problems with that one. Sometimes it's a brand new ambulance. But you think that, oh, wow, one person was murdered in this apartment. Now it's creepy. The amount of people that die in an ambulance over the course of a year alone is astounding. So no one ever thinks about that an ambulance can be haunted, just like hospitals are haunted. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the interesting things that, you know, as I gathered these stories is 
there, there does seem to be the phenomenon of captured energy. Right. And, and the, one of the stories in my book, that, that one of the things that's really weird that I can't explain, is it seems like that I am haunting my office. Oh, I remember this story, yes. And so I don't, I, you know, unless this is the best interview you've ever had, because I am dead. <laughs> um, I think I'm alive. <laughs> Isn't that how it works, though? Yeah, <laughs> this in and itself true. is a phenomenon called bilocation. And it is definitely something that is talked about and books are written about it where people are unknowingly showing up, being seen, their voices being heard somewhere that they're not. And they're still alive. They're not a ghost, but have somehow bilocated and. Sometimes they are asleep when it happens, and other times they're completely wide awake when it happens. Yeah, and that's multiple, three different coworkers of mine have been at the office. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night, sometimes it's in the day, and they will hear my voice. Mm. And one time it was right behind the person, the other time it was like in the other room, and another time it was in the, the adjacent office, and they they think, oh, Paul's here. And, and so they walk out and... I'm nowhere to be found. My car's not there. Hmm. Just I'm not there. Now, and, how often do you dream about work? Oh, not really a lot. <laughs> oh, interesting too. But I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it happens, but, but then sure. like my, my supervisor, she swears, she hears when I'm not there, my chair. Cause I have this really old chair. Um, it, it was my first chair when I started 20 years ago. And even though they've offered me new ones, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm really stubborn. I'm going to stick right. with chair. My chair. <laughs> we're we're going to give it a Viking funeral when I retire. <laughs> but, um, it has kind of, when I sit on it, it kind of thunks, kind of clunks because it's the piston, the gas pistons all worn out and stuff. Right. And so she swears, she hears my chair, like I'm sitting in it when I'm not there all the time. And so, like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I've, I've devoted 20 years of my life to this place. And, and, you know, I care about this place, but like, is my energy here? Is this like a time jump? Like, like what's exactly going on? like, I just, I don't know. Like that doesn't really fit into, you know, the, the traditional ghosts paradigm, but it could be confused for that. It's still high strangeness, though. It's still a doppelganger-like effect, or as Gary was saying earlier, that other effect. So... Well, right. And if I, when I die, and if that still continues on, then people would interpret it as I'm haunting the place. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. There's just so so many weird things. And and like I said, I can't can't just dismiss it out of hand. Like, how, how can I tell one of my coworkers that, no, you didn't hear my voice? Right. I, and when they're convinced that they did, how can I tell them that? This really got a lot of uh, attention. This phenomenon got a lot of attention when uh, um, people who uh, were followers of Padre Pio started having um, situations when, while he was alive of seeing him and hearing him in different locations. And the Catholic Church became involved in investigating phenomenon of bilocation so it really kind of almost got a sort of a nod from the catholic church of wow could these be some of the miracles leading up to even before padre pio passed but then again it also brings up what are hauntings you know and the different levels of hauntings whether it's recordings in the time continuum 
or if, which might explain some of the ones where you this person at 7 p.m. walks out the door across the hall and vanishes every night 7 p.m. Yeah, could be could be absolutely part of this energy transference where um, I worked at a fort number of years ago and it's made of granite and brick both of which are full of silicone and so there's these theories that the silicone can act almost like videotape so it's a uh, they say the same thing about limestone too right that limestone has some kind of an effect as far as like paranormal and running water and all of those things right, all seem to right. work like a magnet for this kind of stuff yeah it's fascinating and i i don't know like how how can you rule it out Mm-hmm. I'm ready for book two. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone else who reads this is too. So uh, I'm going to have to bug your publisher and be like, when's that coming out? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be Schiffer. They're, they're a good company. They've, yeah. They're, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty good about sending stuff out. Well, we're past the hour mark, which is fine. Um, as I said earlier, we like storytellers. So um, we're going to wrap things up here. But do me a favor, and after we're done, hang out for one minute. Um, as always with guests that are on the show, this is a chance where I give them an opportunity to promote anything that they have out there. If you've got any books, conferences, if there's a website that people can go to, any other stuff that you've written, um, you know, how can people get a hold of you or whatever, go ahead and pimp out anything that you want to put out there. Yeah, just uh, if I would love to hear feedback. I love when I've done podcasts and radio for people to um, just tell me their stories. And so the best place to do that is on my Facebook page, the fingerprints and phantoms Facebook page. And, uh, yeah, just search fingerprints and phantoms or my name, Paul Ramosh. And I'd love to hear from you on Facebook. Um, yeah, all, all my books are available on Amazon. I've written a couple other books that are kind of fictional, fictional adventure stories, um, that kind of deal with different Utah, legends and different stuff like that but yeah fingerprints and phantoms if you're interested in ghost stories csi law enforcement it's definitely the book for you so yeah look for it on amazon or reach out to me on facebook i'd love to hear from you paul thanks for coming on here man this has been a blast talking to you it's uh this was everything i would hoped it would be and more so no my pleasure it's been a pleasure yeah keep in touch with me if you've got anything else coming out or you know if you want to come back on here again if you accumulate a bunch of stories and you want to come back on and tell some more you're more than welcome to it's been a real lot of fun talking to you all right for sure will do appreciate it and i might be bugging you for my show so (laughs) okay i'd love to gary and you be safe out there oh i will you too sir all right will do So that was Paul, and he was really, really cool. That went so much better than I had thought it was going to. And, um, like, he had a lot of stories, which is what I was hoping he would bring to the table. Usually with storytellers, it's like, just go ahead and tell and say what you're going to tell, and we'll sit back and listen. And um, I thought it was pretty cool, man. I thought he did a really good job. And he seemed. I love the. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, bro. He seemed really engaged with us, like particularly you, which was great. I was like, cool. Yeah. I'll just sit back here and, and, and drink my <laughs> my hot cider and, you know, let this unroll. And this is really nice. It's it's cool for me. So right. anyways, what were right. you going to say? Um, I, I don't even remember. <laughs> but no, it was, it was a lot of fun. And the way he writes uh, – so the way the book set up is every chapter is another story. 
And when I read his writing, it's like I can hear the documentary of the story already going on in my head. Yeah. You know, it's the way he writes his folklore and the way he writes his articles is so uh so um engaging and everything. You're you'll tear through this book in a day. <laughs> it's, Pretty easily, it's yeah. So much fun, yeah. Yeah, I made it around I mean, just sitting around on the couch, just you know, drinking coffee in the mornings here and there, and you know, I got about I'd say about halfway to a good three quarters of the way through it, and then honestly, I put it down because I figured you'd pick up wherever I left off. Right. But the other thing is, I didn't like I said, I didn't want to cover stories that were just in the book because so many people do yeah. that, and then there's like no reason to go out and buy it. And I knew he had more because I've heard him on other yeah. shows. And when he was on Coast to Coast, I don't know about Mysterious Universe, but he was on Coast to Coast. They were only asking him stuff about what's in the book, and he would make mention that he had other stuff, and there were, no one would ever talk to him about that. Right. So I'm like, all yeah, right, that's well, a shame what do you got? because he's you know? a wealth of great information. And when I when I was asking him about the uh, the woman on the porch, so what had happened with that is uh, the the officer was parked doing his reports, like he talks about in other ones. I think the problem here is officers need to stop having to do paperwork because that's when all the weird shit happens. Mm -hmm. But uh, the alter, the officer was there and he hears a woman scream. So, of course, he gets out of his truck to investigate that and comes – as he's coming around the corner of this house from where he thought it came from, he hears someone arguing with this woman, two voices. And as he comes around the corner, there's this woman with her head leaned over and the hair all hanging down in this long, like, snot sickle just draining out of her nose like two feet and just hanging there in the wind. And uh, he asks her, you know, what it, what's going on? And she just, without lifting her head, is like, uh, I'm being tortured by the devil. I'm trying to save your life. And that's kind of how this starts and he out of nowhere he gets us did you want me to get the missionaries because that's instead of anywhere else we'd like he want me to get a pastor or something like that mm -hmm. in utah with that it's the missionaries and then she just looks up with this blank stare and goes yes <laughs> oh it's so creepy it's so creepy and i'm just and that one is perfect very possessed and the whole time in the background is this like uh hardcore like norwegian death metal going on and ah yeah creepy story but people are creepy y you can't just be a cop or ems or fire and not run into overly creepy folks yeah that's what i was wondering like, i was going to ask him if he had any stories from ems or firefighters or other public service people but at that point he had it was already throwing stories at us and i'm like nah we'll just let this guy go because he's he's on a roll yeah. now and i didn't want to break that i didn't want to break that rhythm especially when he started with engaging with you so right right you know i was you know it was one of those i very much like to have guests for longer than an hour if they've got something to say and they want to say it sure i'll let the tape roll no problem you know I, oh, bonus show no problem so, yeah, that was great. Um, you're probably going to be bugging him next time, assuming for your show, which is fine. Yeah, I think I may have him on talk about some other things he had to offer too, and that way, you know, I'm not just dragging him through the same path as we already been down. Yeah. Well, we asked him before the show, is there anything, which I, I like to do with my guests very frequently, I'll say, is there something that you want to talk about that, because you've, most of these people, like he's been on, he's been on Coast to Coast a few times, I, he's been on Mysterious Universe, all kinds of other podcasts. It's important that I try to give people a different interview when they come on the show, so they have a chance to spread their legs or whatever. And right. uh, I was like, so is there anything that you want to talk about that you haven't asked yet? And usually when I ask that question, the universal answer I get is, I don't know, that's a good question. 
And then about three right. quarters of the way through the interview, stuff starts creeping out of them once you crack them open. So I'm like, okay, this is great. This is cool. I'll just sit back and twiddle my thumbs and let this let this go. <laughs> I'm an I'm an over researcher, so it's kind of like, okay, so he wrote this book. So I'm looking up his name, looking up. Oh, he's from Ogden. What's in Ogden? What's in? There's got to be something else for just in case you get that one interview that doesn't go anywhere that you yeah. can pull something out and that dog but, man story though. I mean that dog man story there's got to be more out there because I I think it's it's got to be a thing because you see it referenced so many much time so many times in media. Yeah, but in it, in South Central LA of all places? Yeah. That's not where I would expect something like that to be. I would expect something like that in Utah because it's kind of like it's surrounded by mountains and desert and you know those are the kind of places you would expect a skinwalker kind of thing to be this sounds like something like straight out of a like you know a lycanthrope movie or something like that you know so it's, how many rappers have dog in their name or yeah, bow wow yeah. yeah is yeah, there a no connection kidding. exactly i don't know i'm gonna have to make calls <laughs> to make calls <laughs> <laughs> doesn't leanne know somebody you're in la come on woman <laughs> I'm going to have to call Snoop. Obviously, he is the Snoop lycanthrope dog. master, and that's why he is Snoop Dogg, I mean, lycanthrope master of You'd figure South by the Central. third time, you'd run around the corner, and there's a dog sitting there wagging his tail. It's like, oh, I'm taking you home with me. We're going to get you really? neutered. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I stand, I, he's, he's from Long Beach, not South Central, but mm -hmm. same difference. Yeah. No, it's I'm going to get shot for that. It's all right. You're wearing neutral gang colors. You'll be okay. <laughs> I don't have my Crip colors on today. <laughs> Crip dog. Oh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up because we've been recording yeah, for quite some time that and my fun. throat's starting to go on me. And uh, right? the thunderstorm that happened outside apparently has now passed. While we were recording this, I don't know. If, did I say at the beginning of the show what was going on about the I thunderstorm? I think you did. And then, man, you hear it in one part. You hear a good clap oh, of thunder yeah. come through. We had a lot of rumblies going on. I don't think I'm going to edit yeah. it out either. But uh, I was like, oh, my God, please don't lose power. Please don't lose power. Please let's just keep going. And it came through. Right, it was pretty right. rough. And then it was gone. So yeah. I'm like, oh, we that made was it. Good. That was good. Fun show. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. So uh, you're going to be hopefully, fingers crossed, on the next show that we get booked up here pretty quick too. So uh, hopefully that'll be another yeah. completely right turn, interesting change of direction just, for the show as well. I got to read that book. I'm <laughs> I'm going to start that one tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's that'll be an interesting one, provided it goes well. I think it'll it'll think it'll right. it'll work all right. It's just a matter of booking oh, yeah. the guest, and hopefully you're still where you're at and they're not sending you up towards my direction for your job or whatever. So yeah, I haven't uh, heard anything yet. They don't know what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. It's, no, I, I saw a t-shirt I posted today that said, uh, Oh, it had the, the, the star of life, the EMS star yeah. of life. And then it said operation enduring clusterfuck. Yeah. And I'm I, like, I've that, seen that, that going sums around too. it up. Yeah. yeah. That sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Somebody posted a meme earlier, like, um, we're 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 facing a scenario on the easy level. There's no way in the world we'd be able to handle alien contact or something like that because we're fucking this right. up so bad or something along those lines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is this is the apocalypse level on easy mode, and we're still messing this up. So if anything proves that most conspiracy theories are a lie, is that we can't even get masks mm -hmm. to people. Yeah, you know, the whole five no G thing going on is driving me insane too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 5G thing, it's like really – and it just won't go away. Well, it's like it's no, one of those things where useless. like the, the conspiracy theories just get dumber and dumber as they go along. You know? They do. 
So, okay, I, mean, I, I, could, I could see maybe the, the, the one, okay, it's a bioweapon. It got loose in a lab. Okay, I, I don't agree with that, but I could see where the possible context from that comes from because they do develop this stuff. You've got people out there developing, you know, oh, yeah. stuff like this all the time in labs. So I'm like, yeah. okay, there might be a grain of truth to that. I could go along with that. 5G cell towers creating a virus does, does oh, not. Come on. No, 5G doesn't even. That's up there with 8K. You know, it's like, <laughs> great, your TV can do 8K. There's no shows literally doing 8K yet. But. Can we see 8K? Can we? Well, I guess, yeah. I, yeah, do you remember theor- theoretically. Allegedly. They, allegedly. When they did Lord of the Rings and they did it in that really high, high, really high quality video in the yeah. movie theater and people didn't like it because it looked so real that it had this weird can, uh, effect. You can turn that on and off on your TV. It's called the soap opera effect. Oh. And it's an actual uh, – I'll forget the actual – I'd have to go into Google and look up the actual name of what you're turning down. But I assume it's the bit rate or a ratio of some sort. But it's so that if you look at your television and if you've ever seen a soap opera, they look like everything's been filmed on a GoPro or – yeah. You know, there's a big difference between the the refresh rate or whatever rate it is um, between soap operas and film. So there's some films that I'll turn it on for. I watched this one that was, uh, oh, I forget who the actor was, Martin Sheen, and he was walking the the Santiago de Capistela. And by turning that on, it just everything looked like a documentary. It was really neat. Yeah, I have a weird disconnect in watching stuff like that when it's that – yeah, like the, they go back to Lord of the Rings. It looked so real that you could tell. That it looked so real that it didn't look real. Like you could right, actually it looked see. like the dailies. It looked like you were watching the dailies yeah. being done filmed, and yeah, and it can ruin it. So I think they actually had uh, Tom Cruise and somebody else come out and did a whole YouTube video on just how to turn off the soap opera effect and why you should. Huh. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. Yeah, man. uh, Thank you very much. That was fun. Thank you, man. Thanks. Thanks for coming in and, you know. Anytime. Big, big thank you to Gary Morgan for coming on here and helping me out on this one. Do, if you can, get a chance, go over and listen to his podcast, which is the Bizarro Aficionado Show. It's very much in the arc of his family. Strange and unusual topics. um, Lots of absurdity. um, Great show. His his layout's a little bit different than ours, um, but um, he hit the ground running and he's doing really well, and I'm I'm really proud of him. And again, go over and check it out. Things go well, and it goes as planned. Gary will be back here on the next episode to give me a hand on that one as well but um because things always go as planned on this show like never <laughs> anyways yeah go check them out the show's patreon is back up and running again i'm going to try to get some content to in there as quick as i can i'm going to try to do some more found audio shows too it's been a little while since i've done those and i reposted the ann arbor one and the regular feed and, and the downloads on it were huge so that you know every time i've seen the post those you guys really respond to them i'm going to try to do more it's a matter of finding the content editing it and etc and so forth um wrapping up right now as i record this it is easter hopefully all of you were able to go out and try to make the best of this holiday and we're in somewhere and they're able to hang out with the people that you're close to and that you care about and do whatever you know um 
as I've said before, right now, it's really, really important that we try to take care of each other the best we can, be it through phone calls, Skype, social media, um, whatever it is you use to reach out to people and talk to them, video calls, whatever, do what you've got to do, because it's really important for us in this weird situation where we can't be together to really be together and do what you got to do to help each other out. And I am babbling. Anyways, stay healthy, stay safe. This is Rojan from Detroit. Peace.